Hello, welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. You know, one of the things that I didn't know I needed till I found it was feeling like I wasn't broken in a relationship, that there wasn't something wrong with me, that the way I related wasn't because of some dysfunction, but because I was afraid of being too close to love or afraid of being too far from it or afraid of where love would lead. You know, it, it, when I finally understood that, that it was normal for humans to get anxious when things are early in the dating process or why is it that when a woman told me she cared about me, I did run uh, or wanted to run and eventually stopped running, but why did that come up for me? And so you might be exploring, why do I do this in relationship? Why am I prone to this? Why am I reactive? Why do I have a hard time staying in relationships? Why do I blow them up? Why, you know, all the things, right? We're always the, you know, wanting to postulate and understand and get to the core of it. You know, it was when I ran into attachment theory that all of a sudden I had this way of organizing and systemizing and recognizing how relationships work on this very simple level, this very simple mechanism. And it made me have this just sort of sigh of relief, like, oh, there's a whole system that describes what I do or what I'm prone to doing. And that was so helpful. And so I wanted to bring an expert on today to be able to talk about attachment, attachment theory. It is, by learning about it, it is, I would say, the most impactful thing to change my life to change how I related. And it doesn't just influence your romantic relationships. It will influence all of your relationships because you take your attachment system with you. So we're going to go through what that is, how it works, what style do you have, et cetera, et cetera, how to change it, right? Like those are, that's ultimately what we want to know. And so I got one of the world's best, Sylvie Kokashin. Now you're going to hear me butcher that name. I wish I could say it with absolute uh, laser-like pronunciation in Armenian, but I can't. I'm just going to own that, but I'm going to work on it. But either way, I'm so excited for you to hear today's episode. This is some of the most powerful information to learn in terms of how you relate and how you can change how you relate. And so we're excited to get some simple practical tools to hit the road running, so to speak. All right. Hot off the press. I got to tell you, Organifi has a new blend and it is chocolatey delicious. It's called Harmony and it is made for healthy hormones. It's designed for women. So it combines superfoods and adaptogens that have been used for centuries to support inner balance and bliss. With the ladies in mind, this blend is designed so you can feel your best and experience daily harmony. It's plant-based, it's gluten-free, it's vegan, it's dairy-free, it's soy-free, Got cacao, maca, shatavari, stinging nettle, ginger, turmeric, coconut milk, chaste tree. I mean, it sounds delicious. It is delicious. I've tasted it. It's chocolatey delicious, so you can't go wrong. And it's designed for healthy hormones to use during your menstrual cycle. So there you go. Go to Organifi.com slash create the love to save 20% and get free shipping, and that is special to create the lovers on top of the 20%. So go to Organifi.com slash create the love. Before we get started with today's episode, wherever you listen to this, please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss one. Make sure you give it a five-star review and a written review. And if this episode moves you, helps you, changes you in any way, 
please share it and tag me on Instagram at create the love. So without further ado, here is Sylvie. Welcome to the podcast, Sylvie Hugasian. Yeah, it's better. I did it. It's better. It's better. It's better. Um, for you listening, I was I was asking Sylvie exactly how to pronounce her last name, and I'm struggling because I don't have the rolling HR Armenian style. Yeah, that takes a lot of practice to get that sound right. It, but I, 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 A for effort. A for effort. A for effort. Perfect. I'll take an A for effort. Yeah, I always find it weird when we like dumb down our name in a way for people so that they don't butcher it. Although I'm trying, I'm going to get it. As our relationship uh, evolves, your name is just going to roll off my tongue like nothing. You might start saying it even better than I do. We'll see, you know? <laughs> I think we're a long way from that. Well, <laughs> Sylvie, I'm so honored to have you here. You're a brilliant mind, a brilliant speaker, a brilliant heart. You mm. teach all about relationships. You work with people. You're on Instagram sharing the love, sharing all the insights and you have a specific, well, you have many areas of mastery, but you have a specific area of mastery. Uh, one is being a translator, but it's being a translator of the human relating experience into the sort of systemized way of understanding it in attachment. So I'm very excited to have you here today to disseminate your information upon us to help us relate better. I'm so excited. I I mean, I think that's part of our connection, right? That we both have a deep love for relationships and trying to help people make sense of them and learn tools to be able to engage in more loving and reciprocal and fulfilling ways. So I'm all for all of those things. Yeah. Well, and anyone listening to this is all about is in the same nerdiness. Like they're like, yes, I really want to do this up. I want to learn how to love better. I want to learn how to relate better. And what I love about your ability to put into words uh, that experience so that people can understand it on a, on a level. Cause I think it's one thing to like read a book or read a study or something like that, but it's a different thing to put it into everyday language that allows, you know, us to take attachment theory, for example, and actually adapt it to our lives so that we can change, so that the theory doesn't live independently of our experience. And so can you share uh, just when I talk about attachment theory, what that might mean, and then we can get into how it can really help people understand relating on a different level? Absolutely. So for me, I came across attachment theory when I was in, when I was in grad school for psychology. And I was immediately drawn to this map, to this framework that was originated by John Bowlby, and then later Mary Ainsworth came on board. And it essentially is highlighting the bond between the initial caregiver of a child and the child itself, and the bond that's created with them and how that can become mirrored in adult relationships. And it blew my mind because it's something that happens so organically in those first few years and plays such a huge role in the way that we trust other people, how vulnerable we can be, how we repair, how much self-awareness we have, um, you know, how we navigate conflict. And for me, I think it was such a beautiful map that really was very empowering to help us understand what was getting in the way of all of those things, right? So until we have that self-awareness, it really becomes challenging to engage in intimate relationships in an open-hearted, uh, mutual way. And that's one of the things that I really love about 
the attachment framework. And we'll probably dive into what each one of them specifically are in this episode. You know, one of the things that I really, that I really love about it is that it offers this ability to be aware of oneself in the context of the relationship. So there's less defensiveness. You can see yourself more objectively. You can communicate what your core needs are and not feel as much shame around it because it really makes sense based on your childhood story. So that's that's a little bit of an intro to, you know, some of the things that I initially was drawn to and what kind of possibility can open in intimate relationships as an adult. Yeah, you know, I experienced the same sort of profound organization. Like it gave it gave a way of structuring how I was relating or how I'd experienced relating or observed relating in other people. It gave it made sense about my former partners and current partner. It was nice to see a framework. And I think what was interesting about what you're saying of your experience of it is that in having a framework, it now makes things make sense. And then I think in a lot of ways, it made me feel less alone. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden I went, oh man, I'm, there's actually a framework for this. So this isn't like Mark's relationship dysfunction. Yes. This is human relational challenges. And there's actually a reason for it. And the reason isn't I'm fucked up and I don't know how to do this. And it's because I didn't learn the skill or I didn't. It's I'm actually, the way I relate is a way to try to to relate well. Like I'm actually trying to to have connection. I'm trying, mm. I'm trying to not be alone. You know, I'm trying to not be abandoned. I'm trying to not, or not be too close. And so whatever our strategies are, it just, it was really freeing in that way. Because then I was like, oh, there's got to be a way out. If this describes us, then what's the way out? Well, it's like the awareness is the way out, right? It's like just the awareness alone. Without it, we're operating from such unconscious, just unaware ways where we don't have, we don't have, there's no possibility to really do anything differently. And, And when we start to recognize, like you said, those, the, what are the core wounds that come with but not just that, the, the fact that they're so universal, you know, I, I love that you mentioned how, how comforting that is because it's true when we have a map for it and recognize that so many other people are struggling with the same thing. It's, it's very comforting because it's very humanizing. And, you know, one of the challenges I've had using the attachment framework is the rigidity in which we might try to use them. So it's like this balance, like how do we use the map? in a way that feels expansive, in a way that's really nuanced, in a way that really takes in consider in consideration so many other contexts that are also shaping it, but still be able to utilize the wisdom. So that's one of the core things when I work with this map. And I'm wondering, should I kind of fill a little bit in as to each one of them with a help to contextualize this a little bit, Mark? Or what do you think? Yeah, maybe, maybe how that, like what we're seeking in that child caregiver relationship, uh, how that, what are the different types? And, and then we can get into how the hell do we get out of that? Or how do we change it? Uh, And you're saying you can change it. Like you're saying that that rigidity is indicating that we're sort of staying part of this assignment. Like I am this attachment style. So for the rest of my life, I will always be. So yeah, please share with us uh, all the things. I think, you know, what, what you're saying is for, for me, the, the goal that I have when I work with this map is to create more distance between ourselves and the label. So it's recognize the label as really helpful and really 
validating and really comforting. And yet the more space we can create within it is what gives us room to do things differently. So just to, just to name what the different attachment styles are, we have secure attachment, anxious attachment, dismissive avoidant attachment, and fearful, uh, fearful avoidant attachment. And each of these operates really differently. Secure attachment is about having a consistent bond with the caregiver. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm giving the really speedy version of this, but there's definitely way more. The anxious attachment is having a caregiver that was um, present sometimes really well, not present sometimes. So there's like this inconsistency that creates this tremendous anxiety for a child of not knowing. Is love and connection and warmth, warmth coming back? Dismissive avoidant attachment is about having a caregiver who was a lot more left brain, more um, oriented around tasks, not really spending time engaging with the child in an emotional capacity. So there's a lot more of that auto-regulation, relying on oneself and being really self-sufficient. And fearful avoidant attachment is one of the more recent um, attachment styles that was put on the map, which really identifies someone that experienced a caregiver that had more abusive tendencies or really frightening behaviors, which creates this disconnect for the child in that, wait a minute, sometimes I feel really attached, but sometimes you're like, you're terrifying. So I feel this constant push-pull confusion within myself whenever I'm in an intimate relationship with someone. I so want closeness. I so want intimacy, but I feel um, I feel terrified and completely overwhelmed when I start to feel close and dependent on someone. And I found that when I work with a lot of trauma survivors, um, you know, kids that have families that have gone through genocide, Holocaust, uh, immigration challenges, there's a lot of that fearful avoidant tendencies within the family system. And again, this is why it's so important to be mindful of other contexts so that we can bring empathy and compassion and not get stuck on blaming the parents, blaming the caregivers, when there were so many other factors that could have played a role into creating a very chaotic and disruptive system for a child. Yes. Okay. So let's, with secure, you're saying our, our parent was reliable, consistent, you know, present with anxious that there was a lack of reliability, like they're there sometimes, they're there not. And so that causes us to sort of develop that anxious, like, will they be there? We cling a little tighter. Um, and, and please correct me if I'm like, if I'm getting, getting these wrong. With the dismissive avoidant, it sounds to me like if they were more task oriented, more structured, maybe as a parent, maybe more like a chopper parent, would that be in there too? Like if they were more, you know, hovering like a chopper. Yeah, chopper parent. My friend calls uh, <laughs> like oh, a helicopter because he's always hovering all the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, chopper oh. maybe is the the shorter, uh, the slang version. <laughs> One of my friends calls her husband chopper because he's always surveying the kids. Got it. Well, I would say it's not. It's the opposite of that for someone who has more uh, dismissive avoidant because they usually don't have a lot of that. In, they don't have a lot of engagement, so they they tend to feel rejected a lot, shamed for having feelings, and not really attuned to that emotional experience. So they can really struggle to connect emotionally and be vulnerable in their adult relationships because they've had to really be like this island. Stan, Dr. Stan Tacken uses that terminology for, for dismissive avoidance style, which really resonates. It's this really self-sufficient person 
And yes, the, in the way that you described the in- anxious attachment, it's this anxiety because, wait a minute, you've been there, uh, you've showed up, so I know that it's possible. So I, I don't shut, my nervous system doesn't shut down. It just gets activated more. And I, I go external to seek that connection. And, you know, in adulthood, what, what's really fascinating about these different styles is that they, they're expressed fundamentally differently. And yet there's so often we talk about like this opposite attracting, this anxious avoidant dance attraction happening. It's so common. Have you, have you experienced that in your work with couples or just in your- Yeah, I've experienced it in my personal life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And in my work, you know, it's, it, it maps out so perfectly. It just works so perfectly because both are sort of validating each other's, you know, view of the world and relating. And I would add another layer to that. So not only do they validate the fears and what they're afraid of what might mm-hmm. happen, it's also interesting to see how I often frame it as they ha- each have strengths that the other longs for that they haven't mm. fully embodied themselves. So for an anxious person, they've had to spend so much of their experience being external, focusing external to make sure they don't, you know, they don't get abandoned, they don't get left, they don't lose connection. So they've really oftentimes had to leave themselves and struggle to connect to their needs, struggle to connect to their hobbies, the things that really matter to them. And someone that's more avoidant tends to be really internal, really self-focused. They, you know, tend to be really career oriented. So here's this perfect draw of a person that is so attractive because they embody all these things that someone who was anxious didn't have. And on the flip side, somebody who has a lot of avoidant tendencies yearns to be emotionally connected, even if they might deny that to themselves. So there's this, here's this person who's so you know, sensitive and caring and wants to connect. And that part of their brain wasn't fully developed. So I also, I like to bring that up because it's not often talked about in, in the strength domain. No, it isn't. And it's beautiful to think that. Have you heard that before? No. Do you think there's an unconscious resentment that we have with our partners in those experiences because they have the strengths we yearn for and we don't necessarily know how to access them? Like, when I think about having been formally anxious, then pivoted, because I like to keep things interesting, you know, I like to switch yeah, it up, it pivot, happens. become a little avoidant just to keep my partner on their toes, you know, just make sure you never know who I am. Um, but I'm wondering if, because when I dated someone who was avoidant, I certainly admired their independence and I admired their boundaries around the things that were important to them. But in a lot of ways I resented them because resented those skill sets because I think I was sad that I didn't have them myself. And they were the things I desperately wanted was to actually prioritize myself. And so much of my experience of anxious attachment, which sort of overlaps a bit with sort of codependent patterns, is that I was I was self-abandoning for connection. And here were these people who were sort of self-isolating to distance from connection. And that was a weird, I admired it. And at the same time, I'm like, but the answer is, is lower your guard as opposed to the answer of me being sit in my own autonomy. Does that make sense? I don't know. If I'm oh, 100%. And I, I think that's so beautiful that you're, you're recognizing both sides that you both admired it 
And at the same time, we're like, damn, why can't I get into that space? You know, why is it so hard for me? And right. I, I relate to you 100% on that, by the way. I, I, I experienced very much of what you shared. And in the beginning of my relationship with my current um, partner, he was very self-expressed and just in a really ambitious place in his career. And I, I found myself just getting so hyper-focused on the relational aspect. I could not for the life of me pull back and just kind of come back to myself. And I was just, it was, it was a very frustrating, frustrating period to recognize how to create a little bit more balance between relationship and also nurturing the self. That's the challenge for people that have more of the anxious attachment tendencies. Yeah. And I, experience in it too, that it's, it's interesting to think that I want my partner to soothe the discomfort I'm having from space, but yet I have to learn how to do that. Like I have to learn how to sit. So it's a, it was a weird balance of like, what is a rational need that I'm actually supposed to have and get to have versus what is my attachment style motivating me to over pursue or over, uh, over function or whatever the term might be. So yeah, it's yes. It's an interesting dance, you know. Well, you also are naming the dance between self and other, right? Where is it appropriate for me to sit in my own anxiety and comfort myself versus when is it appropriate to reach out and ask for reassurance, ask for connection, ask for the things that can, you know, for people that have more anxious tendencies, separation is really hard. So even simple things like creating rituals, like one of the things I do when I work with couples, morning and evenings are super important to have little small rituals of connection to really acknowledge those goodbyes. I don't know if you experience this, but for me, when I go to sleep every night, I always have a little bit of anxiety saying goodnight. Even if my partner is sleeping in the same bed with me, it's a goodbye. We're literally going to bed into this unconscious portal and my nervous system is hypersensitive <laughs> to that. Do you experience that? You know, I, I don't, I don't. Like maybe I'm probably because- You don't have to, when okay. <laughs> I, well, when, no, but I'm thinking when Kai and I reunited, that would have been true pre-breakup. And then in our reuniting, she became a bit more anxious and I became a bit more avoidant, uh, which was really interesting. So maybe I'm still in that sort of, she, I think would identify maybe a bit more with that. Although she falls asleep in about four milliseconds. So if she's feeling it, <laughs> she gets, she literally would be like, good night. And then she's out. And I'm like, how do you do that? Is she someone that falls asleep in movies right, right away too, when you put a movie on? Yeah, unless she picks the movie, unless then she can stay it. awake for the whole thing. Otherwise, yeah, like, goodbye. It's oh, <laughs> so funny. But yes, those are the things, you know, the paying attention to people that have more avoidant tendencies can tend to be alone for long periods of time. It's harder for them to re-enter connection, whereas for people that have more anxious tendencies, it's harder for them to go back to solo time after they've been connected. So they're very opposite experiences. And I think one of the challenges when we are paired with someone who has opposing tendencies is being compassionate about those things. And how do we negotiate what's a you know, good enough balance where we're both feeling safe in this relationship, both of our needs are getting honored, but also where are the opportunities to stretch ourselves so that we can create a deeper and more fulfilling connection. And both people have to stretch in different ways, right? 
someone with more anxious tendencies, like you said, can benefit from sometimes practices of um, sitting, meditation, things that help them really connect back with self. Whereas for someone with more avoidant tendencies, the practice is always going to be more vulnerability because otherwise the tolerance never is never going to yes. change. It's always going to be I'm going to, I feel overwhelmed by intimacy. I feel overwhelmed by intimacy. And at the same time, as a partner to someone with strong avoidant tendencies, we can support their need for alone time too. So what I'm saying is very paradoxical. It's like I'm speaking to two very opposite needs and they, they both have to be addressed in order for, for the, for the person with whether it's avoidant or anxious tendencies to feel safe in the relationship. Is what I'm saying making sense? It does. It does. You're saying that in if one is one way and one is the other, the healing for both requires the stretching for both. So it's not because yes. I think a lot of the times anxious people will feel the responsibility to fix it all and to like, but you're not being caring to my needs. You know, like there's this I feel like a lot of the relational advice that is given out is more obviously focused to anxious people because they're the ones seeking the advice to try to fix the connection. And the avoidant people don't even know that there's relationship advice stuff happening. Uh, no insult to you if you're avoidant and you're listening to this gratitude for stretching um, and acknowledge that stepping towards. Because I know when I was more avoidant, that was the hardest work. Mm. healing anxiety was challenging because I had to learn to sit in my needs not being met by this other person. Da, 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 da. What does that mean about me, et cetera. Mm. But avoidance was so scary to heal because it required me getting close to wounds from breakups that I hadn't touched. Like mm. I hadn't gone to that space of vulnerability. I only allowed myself intimacy and connection that I could control the outcome of. And so when I all of a sudden couldn't control it, like it was, I was now touching spaces of love and openness. Uh, it was like putting your hand on a burner, you know, you're mm. just like, ugh. like here, I'll share this very vulnerable thing. And historically what I would do is, and I remember when I was sort of recovering from, it was a long recovery. So my apologies to all the, to the women I dated in that period, because mm. it was, they were amazing women. I could say that with all of them hmm. and they would want to love me and choose me. And I knew that they could, I knew that they could show up for me. And I was unconsciously so terrified that I would run for the Hills. My stomach would hurt. I'd be, I'd coded as there's no connection. And, and I think, you know, you can sort of argue that that is true at the time that you're not ready to process it. And it, keeps making you run from connection till maybe there's something important enough or something hurts enough that you are willing to open a little more. So man, my heart goes out to the healing of both sides because it just involves such a stretch. It involves a totally foreign territory or a familiar one that was traumatizing or hurting or betraying or whatever. Completely foreign, counterintuitive, dangerous feeling for someone that has avoidant tendencies. It's like, I always tell people, cause there is a lot of judgment for this type. And I really want to speak to that. There literally were, there was emotional neglect for them to experience connection. And this emotional co-regulating experience takes so much risk because the defenses that had to build to protect themselves from the pain of not being acknowledged emotionally is so deep. And 
it's like we want to acknowledge that, but also like support someone to to recognize that, you know, without that small little baby step leaning in practice, it's impossible to grow. And so finding places where it's safe, finding people, maybe you don't start communicating the vulnerability with your intimate partner right away. Maybe you do with a professional, maybe you find a support group and, you know, with people that are a little bit more distant, but you practice, maybe you practice with someone at the grocery store, you share something to start to really push yourself. And it's like, how do I push myself just enough so that I can tolerate it so that I don't shut down all over again? Avoidance patterns are absolutely terrifying to work with. And so I'm really grateful that you, you are acknowledging that and sharing that. I've, oscillated between both anxious and avoided. I actually resonate the most with fearful attachment, which has both tendencies. And what I also really love that you're bringing up is that, you know, it's not so important to get fixated on which style it is. It's important to just recognize the behavioral pattern. Is it relational anxiety where I'm afraid of connection, losing connection, or is it relational avoidance where I'm afraid of getting overwhelmed by connection? Instead of, you know, we can get really fixated on trying to, I'm this attachment, I'm this. And that I, I, I rarely find that rigidity ever helpful. So, you know, paying attention to what are the behavioral patterns that come up for you? Where do you feel challenged? Do you tend to be more intrusive during conflict? Do you tend to be more, um, you know, do you tend to shut down? And starting to recognize what those patterns are so that you can make repairs more quickly as well. Because that's one of the, the biggest tools for relationships in using attachment theory to help make those repairs happen much more quickly. And so that we don't get defensive when someone says, hey, you're being a little bit pushy. You know, I want to connect with you, but chill out, you know, let's let's plan a date. Let's do this thing, <laughs> you know, back off a little bit. I'm I'm with you. I want the same thing, but this approach is is not feeling good. And instead of getting defensive and, you know, mm. falling into a ball of shame, we can say, oh yeah, I, I'm doing that thing. I know, I know. And like really being lighter with ourselves about it. That's that's my hope when I work with couples because it's so possible to get there. It takes some time to get there, but it's yeah. so possible to get there. And it's so healing. It's like both people experience a whole other level of relationship. Even if we're single and we're dating and we start to date with this awareness, we're all of a sudden like, wait, I'm now over-pursuing or I'm now pulling away. And we're cognizant of, is this my attachment style in action or is this actually unsafe or is this you know connection not feeling right and it just keeps informing us like we keep learning more about ourselves i remember when kai and i started dating i was definitely more i was secure at that point mm. and she was avoidant and it was pushing me into my she's not here to validate this but i have the right i for sure <laughs> this is true and we laugh about it now because i asked her to read the book attached she <laughs> She avoided the part on avoidance. Like she never even got to that part of the book. Wow. And what was it? I was like, you when you read it, you will be blown away by the irony that you're avoiding reading the part about avoidance because she didn't see it valuable. And she jokes that when she read it, you know, five months later, she had so much insight into her behavior. But also <laughs> what I love about what you're offering us, and this is why I wanted to partner with you for you to uh, educate us all and teach us all and do all those things. I'm so happy that you created a course for everyone to take on this because she said that she all of a sudden was just through the knowledge about attachment and how to change it and all that stuff that 
she then could understand my perspective from a totally different place, like how her avoidance impacted me. Mm. And of course, you know, recognizing how does anxiety or the behaviors that anxiety creates impact our partner. So the knowledge just allows us more space of understanding. And if we can be in conversation with our partners with under, with a space of understanding of their, because you were saying, you can tell them like, hey, how you're showing up right now and it's, you're being a little pushy or you're being a little distant. Yes. That we're able to call each other out on it, but lovingly and to say, maybe this is what I need right now, or this is um, might feel better for me. And the other person can say what their tolerance is or what they need. But just by having that conversation, you increase intimacy, trust, security, and that the relationship can handle this that the relationship itself is the place where we go for this. Do you know what I mean? 100%. This is the place to explore these things. And I think the more we have the capacity, you know, I've never really heard it in that framework. And I, I really love that you said having that awareness of how our tendencies can impact another person. What a beautiful addition to understanding this framework, right? To be able to recognize that when my partner shuts down or, you know, with my friend, if this isn't just about couples, intimate relationships, my attachment tendencies show up in my friendships all the time. It shows up with oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It's everywhere. It shows up in all of our relationships. It shows up in work environments. And so being able to notice, okay, my, my partner or my friend is, is starting to shut down because especially under stress is when we see our, our tendencies heighten even more you know, being able to recognize, oh, it's not personal. Yes, it feels kind of shitty that they're isolating a little bit, but at least I can self-soothe and recognize because what happens to our brains is we make things, our brains love to make things about ourselves, right? Our insecurities pop up in when there's too much space, especially. So when we have that information, we can fill it in with that rather than what our brain wants to fill it in with just like, I'm not a lovable or I'm not, you know, they don't like me or all the things that our, our biggest, deepest fears can bring on. There's so much available when we have that information about ourselves and the person that we're relating with too. Amen. I, okay. So for people listening, yeah. Can you share what some, some of those characteristics so that people can then maybe self uh, organize, but not be rigid in defining and creating an identity around. I want to preface that you listening, don't make this your identity. Just make it some behavior patterns that are a collection that you can change. Boom. Okay. Sylvia. I love it. So you're you're asking more so like what it looks like in adulthood, right? Yeah, yeah. What is what how would I be relating if I'm more prone or more likely one versus another? And then if I pivot, why do I do that? That's important too. If I pivot, why I do that? Okay. Like if I go so, between anxious and avoidant. Ah, I see. Yeah. So for people that have more secure tendencies, they've had that consistent bond. Again, not perfection. This is not that. This is just about enough consistency, enough warmth, enough connection and attunement as a child. That person is going to be more trusting in relationships, more vocal about their needs, more direct in their communication, and also just really clear to who they're relating with about creating agreements that are going to protect the relationship. And the Biggest distinction that I really want to land on this podcast, the difference between the secure attachment versus the other three, which are also the more insecure styles, 
is that there is a tendency to hold both my experience and another person's experience in relating to them. So it's not just me, 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 my fears, my mm, wants, my needs, my boundaries. This is the biggest, like, I really, like, I'm getting goosebumps right now because this is something that's like, if if, <laughs> if you could take anything from this podcast, this is it. With the other attachment styles, so for people that Hold have on, more- sorry, I, I want to- I want to clarify that because I love that. I want, yes. I just don't want it to miss for anyone. So you're saying, and I don't want it to miss for me. So you're saying <laughs> insecure attachment, we are able to hold our experience and another's at the same time. And because we're doing that, that's interesting. So in doing that, we are actually observing the relationship as a sort of separate entity as opposed to just my own myopic uh, sort of narcissistic view. And I, I use that word really loosely there, yes. but yes. That, that sort of myopic first person view, as soon as we go to that second and third person, we now have space for their experience, mine, and I'm able to see how mine and their experience interacts. Is that fair? Beautiful. Yes. And and the other thing that I want to say, in addition to everything that you said, is that there's this element of teamwork, just this we, mm. this we, we, we. It's not just me. It's we. I care about myself. I care about your experience. I'm not just leaning into conversations to just take care of myself. I meant it to also take care of you. That's huge. And with, in, with anxious attachment, because there's this deep yearning for connection that can feel so understandably scary... Sometimes they're, and I want to acknowledge that with, with anxious attachment, there's, they're, they're very warm. They're very caring. They're very, they just really value and prioritize relationships. Those are some of the strengths. And some of the challenges are they can get really fearful when losing connection and start to act out. Attached, the book talks a lot about this, um, Amir Levine and Rachel Heller, how there's, you know, the experience of jealousy can be, I, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for jealousy. I think jealousy is a very natural, normal human emotion that tends to get minimized here in the, in the West. And it can be very informative and supportive. But with anxious tendencies, it can be this acting out on the experience of jealousy, which can be really intrusive and violating for who they're in relationship with. So intrusiveness. So in some way, they're sort of weaponizing jealousy. Is that fair? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Please, please yep. continue. I just wanted to understand that. No, that's correctly. good. That's really good. And so it's basically they're they're you know, there's jealousy of expressing it and bringing it to the table in a way that's not feeling threatening or violating and then there's there's jealousy that can really take over a relationship and start to feel possessive in a way that can be really harmful. And there's a huge spectrum within that, but it's really this inability to be direct and clear with needs, with what it is that, you know, somebody is wanting. And a lot of projection happens with, anx with anxious attachment, a lot of challenges around what's happening with myself act and bringing that forward to the other person. With dismissive avoidant attachment, it's a very self, there's a lot of self-reliance. Um, I want to acknowledge how they can also be really supportive of their, of their partners, of their friends to pursue their careers, to pursue the things that they love, their hobbies, the things that they really enjoy. They're really good about offering people space and really understanding about space because they value space so much. And the challenges that they can they can bring to relationships is that they process things a lot on their own. They don't really bring people into their world very much. They um they might go into periods of cocooning that can really shut people out. Um not, you know, struggling to be vulnerable and really leaning into 
vulnerability is the glue of a relationship. So that's one of the challenges when when vulnerability is not present, it can make it really hard for for them to connect and bond with someone, but also for someone on the other side to feel reciprocity and to feel connection. And with fearful avoidant attachment, there's that oscillating between both patterns. The difference between fearful and dismissive is people that are fearful yearn for connection and want it. But as soon as they start to depend on someone and get close, that's when the fears start to come up. They might pull away prematurely because, you know, all of those overwhelming feelings start to come up. And these are feelings that are, that are from the implicit memories from when they were so young. So your brain doesn't always have awareness of what's going on. You just feel overwhelmed. I can't handle it. I got to go. And so that's why having this map can be so helpful because if you start to make sense of why you're doing this behavior, you can start to just be much more compassionate with yourself and start to take active steps to protect yourself and your relationship from acting on these behaviors, or at least repairing them more quickly when they show up. That was a lot. (laughs) No, but perfect because we have to be able to understand how does this influence me in my adult relationships? How does my partner's attachment style impact my behavior? How does mine impact theirs? And then if we're looking to create a secure relationship that's safe and loving and has space for both our wounds and all our healing and all our successes, then how do we move? Because, you know, is there a, uh, I was going to say simple. Is there, is there, uh, where's the hope? Give us hope. How do we transition? (laughs) Right. How do we transition from these? You know, I, I, I know that it's not as simple as here's six different ways, like five ways to become secure. Like, yes, I get that they're instructive. And this is why you created a course on it, because it's not just like you wake up and you're secure, that there it is a healing process to you. Like it's not you're learning and how to co-regulate. You're learning how to build a secure relationship. Gosh, I wish you could just take like a shot of uh, some sort of organic beverage and not, I was going to say tequila. Tequila does not make people more secure. Might make them more confident for a moment, <laughs> but not more secure. Uh, but it would especially be great if there anxiety. was just like an espresso. <laughs> yeah, t- that's true. <laughs> so it would be nice if there was like a, you know, a botanical you could take. It's the secure con- attachment botanical. Uh, but it is this you know, listening to this podcast is going to increase trust in ourselves. It's going to increase awareness. So if you're listening, you're already doing it. And how might they continue or transition based on what they're hearing about how they show up today? And I know you can't solve all the things, but what are just some top level uh, pieces that you have for us? Well, the good news, I definitely have some things I can share. So it's not a botanical, but there's definitely some things. (laughs) And, you know, the first both. I'm like, I'm looking at my backyard. Let me see if I can find some nice herb that I can bring for this. <laughs> you know, this is a really big piece of it. The education piece, right? This, it's increasing your self-awareness. So that's the first piece, the, the increasing of our self-awareness, the increasing of other awareness of the, you know, how you're, how do you're starting to notice, like, what are the patterns within your friend's dynamic, within your partner's dynamic, within people you might be dating? And then being willing to, um, you know, through that awareness, practice some different behaviors or at least acknowledging and taking ownership for behaviors that 
can be hurtful to people that you're close to, you know, taking responsibility when you are intrusive, you know, acknowledging that, you know, I was trying to connect with you yesterday and I realized that I approached you in a way that probably made you feel shut down. I mean, I do that. I still do that all the time. I mean, it doesn't go I away. I still do that too. Right. Yeah. Like I want to just own that, like secure functioning relationships is not about this perfect end goal where you don't mess up. You mess up, but you acknowledge it more quickly and you have awareness that you're messing up rather than letting it spiral out of control. So I think that's a huge piece is taking that awareness and and bringing it so that we're taking ownership of the hurtful patterns and then being more aware of ourselves and the other person. So this is something I I practice a lot now when I'm vetting friends, in particular with new friendships, because I'm in a romantic relationship, but I'm still in a stage of my life where I'm um I'm seeking closer, some closer relationships for for friends. And one of the things I'm always paying attention to is whether or not someone can meet me back. So I do my best to acknowledge, you know, what I'm bringing to the table, what my needs are, what my challenges are, what my struggles are, and also paying attention to the languaging on the other side. Are they acknowledging of my needs? Are they acknowledging of, you know, things that they might be struggling with? Is there like a reciprocity happening in the way that we meet each other? And if it's not, you know, we can bring it up, you know, for example, let's say I'm I'm being really vulnerable and I'm noticing the other person is not meeting me. I could share that, you know, I, I've been noticing that um, I've, I've really been trying to be more open and honest about some vulnerable things with you lately because I want our relationship to be close. Um, I would love if you'd be willing to share some, some, some things like some, some of your inner process with me sometimes. So it's not about just cutting it off. No, invite the person. What is missing? Is there openness to engage in a more reciprocal way for what is missing? Is there a potential of creating a we dynamic? Or is this person just really fixated on themselves, their own needs, their own desires, and they're not really able to really incorporate this we dynamic? And I say Mm -hmm. that that can be created with some people and not, not everyone, but it's something that I don't just say automatically walk away from. It's being assertive, you know, being direct, being really clear about what your needs are, what your desires are, so that you can assess in a more authentic way if it's possible, rather than just, you know, leaving as soon as something is not being met, because that's just not reality. We all need to learn how to be better partners and friends. And, you know, so it's those are the those are the core things that I that I'm I'm talking about with my clients to really support them to take that self-awareness and other awareness and invite the relationship into more of a fulfilling and reciprocal place. So what you're inviting us to do is to take responsibility for the relationship we would like to create and then yes. those Yes! Beautiful. Yes. So instead of just yes. walking away, actually sit into the space and sit into the space and be it, you know, be it. Mm-hmm. If you want someone who's going to be vulnerable with you, share with you, be, uh, be direct, be direct about what you're looking for and, and actually have the behaviors instead of, you know, it's so easy for us. And I, there are so many confounding factors that influence this, but it's so easy for us to just wipe our hands and walk away from things instead of putting in the often little bit of vulnerability and work that it re- is required to swim past the breakers, as uh, the angry therapist says, to swim past the the breakers to 
the calm waters. And what better advice than to be it? You know, what would create security here? How it's how would I love this the love, person? Mark? It's what you're creating the love. Insert <laughs> insert uh, unpaid <laughs> advertisement. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm curious for the people listening. Uh, what can they find in the course that you created? Tell us a little bit about it. So it's four weeks. So much. <laughs> right? Yeah, so much, but simply laid out. So it's four weeks. And what would be the journey that they would experience throughout the four weeks? Yes. So huh, so excited for this course to be out. It's it's like a it's like a baby that's, you know, being put out in the most beautiful way. <laughs> My metaphors <laughs> don't always translate. I don't know. It's being hey, birthed. I, I got it. It's being birthed. I get it. <laughs> the first week, we're going to take a really deep dive into the different attachment styles to really help you make sense of your story. That's the number one piece, that self-awareness piece so that you're understanding why you relate the way you do, having compassion for the way that you relate the way that you do. Again, that making sense of your story is such a huge, huge piece of it. And then in the second week, we're going to be diving into how to support your tendencies. So whether you have anxious or avoidant tendencies, there's a, a ton of practices to help you really self-soothe, how to lean into practices that can help you create more connection and reciprocity with people in your life. And then the third week is, you know, really cool because we're taking everything builds off the week before. It's going to be teaching you how to support the people in your life. So, you know, oftentimes we're we're wanting to know the attachment tendencies so we can, okay, is this a relationship I need to walk away from? Is this a red flag? Okay, so what about knowing someone's tendencies so you can also support them so that you can be a better partner, so that you can be a better friend, so that you can be more assertive about, you know, what you need, but also be present for them. And then the fourth week is a is a culmin, culmination of we practices to really help embody what are the pillars of safe relationships? What are the, you know, we need to have maps. We need to have ideals. Even if we don't always get there, we need to have ideals so that we can look towards those places and model behaviors that are going to protect and nourish our relationship. So that's where we, we culminate and we close is a bunch of um, education and practices to help create we language. There's a ton of scripts because oh, I'm all about practical important. education. Scripts I, like, are the best. <laughs> they're the best. And sentence stems and journaling prompts to help you really integrate the meditations. Oh, so many goodies in there. So excited. To help you move from where you're at, where you want to be, and then how to actually create that. And so whether you're in a relationship or not, does this fit? Oh, yes. It's for friendships. It's for colleague relationships. It's for all of it. Because that's one of the things I really wanted to emphasize in this course and I hadn't seen in a lot of places is there's a there's a focus on just intimate romantic relationships. But yeah. I have, I mean, people's, well, our attachment tendencies show up in friendships too. And I have found that I have struggled the most in friendships because I didn't have support in those ways. And so the course acknowledges how it absolutely, our attachment stuff comes up in friendships and offers support to help you navigate those relationships um, in more secure functioning ways. Yeah, this is fantastic because I think we don't often consider because how you do one thing is how you do everything. I always hated that sentence. I think I hated I it because it was so true, you it's know, very true. <laughs> but yeah, it's right. It's like, mm, I didn't want to know, you know, it's like, uh, 
I didn't want to know that that was true. And it was also like when someone said to me that your in your external world will always be a mirror of your internal world. I didn't like that one till I understood it too. But what you're saying is that your attachment style goes with you everywhere you go, shockingly. And so the things that trigger you in the workplace or in friendships are going to be similar. And I think this is really such a beautiful invitation that if you if this feels like a fit and you're like, I want to heal that and I want to learn how to create secure relationships, no matter my relational status, because it is applicable to any relationship, then I can do that through this process and I will be, I will raise my level of relational awareness and self-awareness. And you know, I always like to say to people that when you're listening to this podcast or you're taking a course, you're actually in the top 1% of the top 1% of people in mm-hmm. terms of emotional, relational intelligence. And then they'll often say, but I find that there's less people who like the pool got smaller dating. And I'm like, that's the fucking point, actually, is it's supposed to get smaller so you can get better at curating, you know, or inviting people to instead of shrinking and turning down your volume, you're keeping it turned high and you're inviting people to healing. Beautiful. Beautifully said. You're you're inviting people to create more healthy relationships and you're recognizing when things are not patterns are hurting relationships more quickly and you're holding that standard and you're modeling those behaviors and paying attention to who's willing to, again, not perfection, but there's a standard that is required for relationships to last and for them to be healthy in the long run. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And wow, 1% of 1%, huh? That's quite the it's quite the statistic. I think it's pretty high. Like what percentage of the yeah. population do you think actually studies their relational skills. It's got to be top 1% of 1%. I'm in LA. I'm in a little bit of a bubble. That's yeah. true. So I feel like I'm I'm in a bubble, but if I get out of here, it's very different. Yeah. I think depending on where you live, depending on where you live, that is true. And Vancouver, I certainly felt that way, you know, especially if we're sort of insulated in our um, communities that feel in some ways like echo chambers too. That Totally. We, in the doing the work, we invite the work, you know, and I love that. That's why self-healing is healing of everyone. And we talk about, you know, billionaires being the top 1%. I think the new top 1% is emotional currency. You know, it's, it's emotional mm-hmm. awareness and it's a different type of richness. It's one that actually doesn't require money and that's better than anything. So Sylvie, thanks for making us all emotional zillionaires. Uh, through this work and through this course that I'm so excited that you said yes to. You are my favorite, the top teacher in this space. And because I've learned so much from you, I was just over the moon, over the world, over the universe, whatever the term is, excited that you said yes to uh, sharing your knowledge with all the people who uh, will benefit from it. So where can people find more of you? Well, thank you for all of that. It's truly such an honor. And I was, you know, Brian, Brian, Mark and I were talking earlier, right when we started the podcast of just how effortless it has been to create this together. And um, I'm just so honored to be able to share this wisdom on forward and pass it on to more people that are going to benefit from it. Where can they find me? They can find me on Instagram. That's where the hub of most of my work is, um, sharing content similar to this, attachment theory, things to help create that self-connection, but also uh, support around creating relational relational connections that are mutual and reciprocal in their dynamic 
My Instagram is Sylvie Kukassian. I'm not going to spell it. I imagine it'll be somewhere. <laughs> we'll link it out. Yeah, we'll link it out because let me tell you, it's going to be tough to spell. Even if you think you're good at spelling, you want a spelling bee, you likely <laughs> won't be able to spell Sylvie's last name. It's a good challenge. <laughs> Go to createthelove.com slash attachment 101. So createthelove.com slash A-T-T-A-C-H-M-E-N-T 101.com. Yay! Thank you so much, Mark. So excited for everyone to experience the course. I really can't wait. <laughs> <laughs>